Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I'll be reviewing one of the last meals out I was able to enjoy before lockdown at a cocoa, answering a listener's thorny culinary question in Ask Hugel, and celebrating some of life's simplest food pleasures in Treat of the Week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I'll be reviewing a restaurant in one way, shape or form. It might be an existing or new restaurant that I've actually been to recently, a home delivery, whether that's a takeaway or a meal kit I've prepared myself, or occasionally favourite places that have gone to the great restaurant graveyard in the sky, which I'll review from memory for nostalgia's sake. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that very clear, like I do on my social media channels. In all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that anywhere I review, I genuinely recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that in mind, it's time for this week's review. Akoko is a very smart new restaurant on Berners Street in Fitzrovia, which builds itself, per its very sleek website, as offering a culinary journey into the depth, richness, vibrancy and diversity of West African cuisine. It delivers on all of that and then some. Owner Ajiaka Komi's restaurant is certainly vibrant. The walls are a warm, textured terracotta, adorned with some stunning contemporary art. There's an open kitchen where Chef William Chalila and his brigade can be watched working, and there's a chic bar area where I could imagine enjoying one of Okoko's excellent cocktails as soon as that's allowed. Ambitiously, Okoko is tasting menu only, priced at £35 per person at lunch and £65 at dinner, with a fully vegan option available. As we'll see, for the food, that's good value, and it's a pleasure to leave oneself in the very amiable staff's capable hands and just sit back and let beautiful dish after beautiful dish appear. The menu starts with a trio of snacks, a gorgeous Lilliputian goat pie, a truffled yam croquette, and a teensy crab tartlet, all intense little explosions of flavour and all too quickly gone. Next comes wonderful warm Guinness bread with garlic and scotch bonnet butter, before we're presented with what, for me, was the dish of the night, a huge barbecued prawn lying in a velouté of agoussi, a delicately spiced melon seed stew. I'd last tried agoussi at Chuku's, a brilliant Nigerian tapas restaurant in Tottenham, and it was interesting to see this dish interpreted in such a different but equally delicious way. Smoked jollof is brought to the table in a ceramic globe from which the top is removed, releasing a waft of savoury smoke which has a sniffing the air like Bisto kids. The rice is topped with wilted winter greens and a lozenge of confit carrot which has the most incredible taste and texture. You could easily believe it to be luxurious lobster rather than the humble carrot. Next up is aged beef suya, grilled and served with caramelised onion. It's clearly high-quality beef and is wonderfully rich, but this, for me, is the only dish which doesn't have much of a wow factor, unlike all of the dishes so far, which have each had something remarkable about them. Still, it's a very fine plateful. 
I love a palate cleanser, such an old school but eminently enjoyable part of a meal, and the pressed melon and sherbet jellies we're given here are superb. They're really properly sharp, like a fine dining Haribo tangfestic, and I laugh to think of the face that my sister, who doesn't get on well with sour things, would pull. Our palates duly cleansed, we finish with a tangy goat milk parfait, formed into a perfect canal and perched on a disc of sponge cake spiced with ouda and aromatic pepper. It's the perfect end to a pretty much perfect meal, both the food itself and the quantities in and pace at which it's been served. My only criticism, as ever a matter of opinion with which many might disagree, is of the wine list, which starts at a lofty £39 a bottle. The wines are predominantly natural, which some diners will love, but those less familiar or totally unfamiliar with natural wines might find daunting. Indeed, a footnote to the list acknowledges, a little condescendingly I thought, that some diners may find certain wines challenging. One person's challenging is another's just not very nice, and if the mission of the list is to encourage discovery of these wines in the same way as the menu invites discovery of West African food, it needs to have more choice at a lower, more accessible price point. As it is, we order the cheapest red on the list, a 2019 Longue from the Loire, and it's delicious. With a second cocktail each, our bill, for two tasting menus, one bottle of wine, water at a flat £1 per person, of which half is donated to the charity Water Aid, and wholly deserved 12.5% service, comes to a somewhat scary £240. Had we had the natural wine pairing at £55 each, it would have been nearer 300 But this isn't unusual for food of such an objectively elevated standard, so notwithstanding my reservations about the wine list, I've no quibble vis-a-vis the cost of dining here. The value is right there on the plate. Akoko didn't have the easiest start in life. Its planned opening was put back by the pandemic, and then having bravely and optimistically opened in the summer of 2020, it had to close in November before opening for an all-too-brief few weeks of December, only to close again while the country is in lockdown. All I can say is that when it's finally allowed to reopen, again, you should have a cocoa right at the top of your list of restaurants to try. For all information, visit a that's A-K-O-K-O, .co.uk. Each week, I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week's question comes from Luke in Brighton. He says, Hey Hugel, I've always enjoyed a scone with jam then cream but my girlfriend says I'm wrong, and then the correct way to eat a scone, or as she pronounces it, scone, is with clotted cream first, then jam. It causes an argument every time we have afternoon tea. Can you settle the argument for us once and for all? Ah, the age-old question of jam then clotted cream or cream then jam dates back to the very beginnings of the cream tea in the southwest of England. Devon and Cornwall both claim to have invented the tradition and both claim that their way, cream then jam in Devon, jam then cream in Cornwall, is the right way. This ancient inter-county rivalry has spilled over county lines and into the mainstream. And as Luke has found, some people care a lot more about being right than others. So to answer the question, Luke, once and for all, the answer is... It doesn't matter. Even if one way were right, whatever that means, and the other wrong... Ultimately, after keeping you alive, the primary purpose of food is pleasure, and anything that interferes with taking pleasure in food is not to be tolerated. As long as you enjoy your food, how you eat it, provided you don't harm anyone in the process, really could not be less important. 
The jam cream question, along with the scone scone question, is one of a few in food, along with which roast meats it's acceptable to have Yorkshire puddings with and whether you should have ketchup or brown sauce with a bacon sandwich, that some people have very trenchant opinions about. But often people mistake having a trenchant opinion about something trivial as being the same as having a personality, which it really isn't. To me, it makes sense to apply clotted cream first and then jam as the clotted cream, being dairy and fat, plays the role that butter does on toast, going before the preserve. But I can equally see that if you wanted your scone more like a Victoria sponge, say, you might want a layer of sweet sticky jam between your dough and your cream. As for whether it's scone like cone or scone as in gone, I have news for you, Luke's girlfriend. Some people pronounce some words differently. Get over it. I'll be honest with you, Luke. It sounds like the problem here isn't how you like to eat your scone or scone, but who you're eating it with. You're never going to relax around someone so next-level petty they'll actively pick a fight whenever you go for afternoon tea. Get rid of her, and I think you'll find that any stress about whether you're doing or pronouncing things properly or not disappears very quickly. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwrite or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I'll be sharing something food-related that's put a smile on my face. This week, it's cocktail sausages, or more specifically, honey mustard cocktail sausages, to my mind the ne plus ultra of party food. A week or so ago, wanting to use up some cocktail sausages I'd optimistically bought in the hope that we might be allowed to invite friends over for New Year's Eve, I popped them in the oven and a few minutes before the cooking time was up, added a generous spoonful each of honey and whole grain mustard. I tossed the sausages around to coat them and returned them to the oven for the final few minutes, from which they emerged stickily glazed and irresistible. Of course, I scoffed the lot. All 18 of them, I'm only very slightly embarrassed to admit, and they were delicious. And they were so easy to make for so much reward that it got me wondering why I don't make myself this simple treat a lot more often. Curious as to whether other people had favourite simple pleasures they didn't make very often, I asked that question on Twitter and was deluged with answers. There are far too many to list them all individually. If you want to see all the responses, you can find the tweet pinned to my Twitter profile, at HRWrite. But I did want to share a handful of the answers that really resonated with me. Fish fingers were incredibly popular. Not as the fish finger border, which Nigella Lawson has made popular with her latest book, but in a sandwich with white bread and either ketchup or tartar sauce. Or with beans, one chef's post-service supper of choice and what my friend Alice calls, rather brilliantly, a kid's tea. Toast and things on toast were unsurprisingly popular, especially Welsh rabbits and their distant American cousin, the grilled cheese. My favourite, though, was one respondent's trio of toasts. She likes to take three pieces of toast and have one with cheese and tomato, one with beans and one with a poached egg. I love this idea of a toast banquet for one and will probably rustle one up this weekend. The crisp sandwich, that wonderful endeavour of double carving, cropped up a few times in the replies and transported me back to primary school where cramming our crisps into our lunchtime sandwiches was always way more exciting than the actual filling, whatever it was that day. Salted butter was specified because, of course, the one thing that can improve crisps in bread is butter. As with fish finger sandwiches, white bread was specified. Fancier breads have their place, but not, it seems, when we want a treat. 
Pasta made a few appearances and by far the most popular was macaroni cheese. My husband and I love macaroni cheese made using BBC Good Food magazine's Next Level recipe, which includes evaporated milk, mustard powder and marmite for exceptional richness. We tore the recipe out of the magazine a couple of years ago, but you can find it on their website. Just make sure you search for Next Level as they have a few recipes for it on there and it's the Next Level one that you want. One person said she likes to add bacon and tomatoes to her macaroni cheese. Bacon I've tried, tomatoes I haven't, and I rather love the idea of mining a macaroni cheese with cherry tomatoes to make little bombs of flavour to find every few bites. The good old jacket potato was many people's too rarely enjoyed treat. Not the kind you pop in the microwave, but a proper jacket potato, patiently cooked in the oven to give a shatteringly crisp skin and fluffy interior, perfect for piling butter and toppings onto. I can understand why this is only an occasional treat for so many of us, myself included. While it couldn't be easier to make, it's time-consuming, anything from an hour to an hour and a half, depending on the size of your potato. And while, of course, you could be doing something else while it's cooking, it can just feel like too long to wait. Which is a shame, because every time I do bother to make a jacket potato, like with those cocktail sausages, I find myself wondering why on earth I don't do it more often. The answer, I think, is that For all the easy, unfashionable foods like these bring us so much pleasure, we're under so much pressure, self-imposed to be fair, for our food to be Instagrammable, interesting and exotic. We feel we have to be seen using the latest ingredient or mastering a currently fashionable cuisine, rather than just allowing ourselves to eat the food we actually want to eat. There's also an element of nostalgia to most of the dishes mentioned – Crisp sandwiches, fish fingers and beans, cocktail sausages. There's something childish about them and I wonder if, as adults living through terrifying times, we feel that we have to behave like grown-ups so we don't allow ourselves these treats because it feels like we're admitting defeat. Personally, I don't think there's anything defeatist about comforting our inner child and perhaps it's the kindest thing we can do for ourselves right now. Of course, I'm not saying we should eat crisp sandwiches all the time. Variety is indeed the spice of life. But while there is joy in all food, I think we do well to remember that, more often than not, the most joy is to be found in the simplest food. Just before I go, I'd like to ask that if you're in a position to, you'll consider supporting one of the many brilliant charities working tirelessly to ensure that children, disadvantaged families and the homeless don't go hungry during the pandemic, such as Magic Breakfast, Fair Share, Street Smart and the Trussell Trust. That's it for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at hrwright or drop me a line at hrw at hughrichardwright.com and I hope you'll join me next time for more of Hugh's Joy of Food. <laughs>